Here we are in this week three of our series going through the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapters two and three and four. We're going to kind of bounce between those chapters. But before we get started, we've got a family here from Germany, from Nuremberg, Germany. We've got Daniel and Francis and their four kids. Would you give it up for them? They have been pastoring a church there for 22 years, and they're here on a little sabbatical going through the U.S., going through national parks, and their four kids are just so sweet, people of God, and so we bless you. We thank God for you. We pray that there'd be much fruit born to your account in Germany and that you'd go back refreshed. So one more time for this beautiful family from Germany. I'm going to read out of Nehemiah chapter 2, 11 through 20, and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from Nehemiah. He's leaving Iran where he's been in exile. And he says, I went to Jerusalem. So his heart has been broken because of the, the wall has been torn down in Jerusalem. The gates have been burned with fire. And finally, he's getting ready to go back to do this great work. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night. Flag that phrase in your mind. I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts except with me, the one that I was riding on, and he's riding his horse, and, and it's just him. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. Smells great over at the dung gate. The jackal well, thank you, Preem. Uh, by night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, and I was examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down in its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount, my horse, to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and I reentered through the valley gate. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any of the others who would be doing the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told him about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king back in Iran, Artaxerxes, had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Aram heard about it, they mocked and they ridiculed us. What is this that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we need you tonight crazy world it's a crazy moment and we all carry we all carry joys and we carry concerns and we all carry fears and we carry questions about the future and we are not God <laughs> we can't do it we are not in charge we've tried it doesn't work and so tonight we give the power back over to you tonight willingly we say you are God and we are your people and we need you to speak to us, we need you to challenge us, we need you to strengthen us, we need you to heal us, we need you to shape us into your holy people. And so Lord, let these words, these ancient words race through this place, and we pray that by the Spirit they would become more, that these frail human thoughts and these words that I'm going to speak, we pray that you would lift them up and make them more, Lord, for the glory of your name and the good of your people. Speak, Lord. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Before Nehemiah is under the bright lights, he's acquainting himself with the darkness. 
comes back to Jerusalem. I say back. He's never been to Jerusalem. He was born in exile. His great, great, great grandparents were ripped away when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians and, and even before that, the Assyrians. And now he's in Persia. He's in southwest Iran, a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. Artaxerxes says, why are you so sad? And he says, because the land of my ancient forebears has been broken down and I want to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. Would you give me some lumber? Would you give me letters? Would you give me money? Would you send me back to Jerusalem? And so he comes to Jerusalem for the first time. Before he becomes Nehemiah, this great leader, Nehemiah acquaints himself with the darkness. He starts walking the walls. Nobody knows what he's doing. They don't know why he's there. He hasn't spoken. He hasn't cast any vision. He gets on his horse, and under the cover of darkness, he goes out to see just how bad it is. Before you can go on a great journey, you sort of have to brace yourself for for what it's going to cost you what it's going to, to, to take you, the blood that's going to have to be spilled. And Nehemiah does just this. He goes out under the cover of darkness and he inspects the brokenness of Jerusalem. He has to discover what he's working with. Before Nehemiah gathers the people, he goes to work when nobody else is around. And this is what it looks like to be a leader called of God. And I'm not just talking about pastors or prophets or people rebuilding. I'm talking about God has called all of us to be leaders. We all have broken walls. And God has called all of us to be repairers of the breach, to build back the city so that there's strength. And before you can do that, you have to count the cost. Nehemiah counts the cost. When nobody else is around, walking the walls, making notes, measuring tape, calculating the cost. He says, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do. Has God ever put something in your heart to do that you couldn't really talk about? This is Nehemiah. He says, by night I went out examining the walls. And so I went up by night. Statement number one, I'm going to give five statements tonight. The first thing that I want to say is that there is a season of silent inspection and silent introspection before any great work can be done. A season of inspection, paying attention to the wall, figuring out the state of Jerusalem. This is what Nehemiah is doing. But it's not just him inspecting the wall. It's also a season of silent introspection for him. Are you ready to do this, Nehemiah? He had it good. He was a part of the cabinet of of the home country in Persia where he grew up. He's the king's cupbearer. He's bros with the king. The king finances him to come back. Kings don't do this, especially kings who a decade before said stop rebuilding Jerusalem because they're rebellious people. Nehemiah's a baller, and he leaves the comfort of, of southwest Iran in Persia, and he goes back to a place that's going to cost him everything, and there's this season of silent inspection and silent introspection before any great work can be done. You see this with Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's told by the angels, you're going to be great with child and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll have a child, name him Jesus. He'll save God's people from their sins. Nine months later, 10 months, 40 weeks, whatever, she's holding this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. She puts him down and then these shepherds show up. And they said, man, the angels, we were out keeping watch of our flocks at night, and suddenly the heavenly hosts appeared. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. And they follow the star, and they come, and they worship at the feet of Jesus. And they say, there's something different about this kid. And what does it say that Mary does? It says, Mary treasured up all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. There's a season of silent inspection and silent introspection before any kind of great work is done. Mary is bracing herself because it was prophesied to her that this child would cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel and a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary. And she said, be it unto me according to your word. If it kills me, I'll do it. A season of silent introspection. Mary, are you ready? And Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And Nehemiah is out walking the walls under the cover of darkness, getting ready for a season of hard work. Before there's anything great that can be done, you have to survey the project and you have to survey yourself. 
What am I up against and what is my heart ready for this? Sometimes you have to decide in the dark and sometimes you have to keep it to yourself. And sometimes you have to treasure these things and ponder them in your heart. And this is where it starts for Nehemiah when he comes to Jerusalem. The second thing, I want you to see this text here. It's time to get to work. After he's gone through this season of inspection of the wall and introspection of his own heart, it says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. When you're casting vision, look at Nehemiah. Get real simple. Get real simple. He trims it down here. He doesn't wax eloquent. He doesn't go in these long run-on sentences. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem together. It's time. He calls the people together and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And then they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. The second statement that I want you to see is that rebuilding the broken down walls is going to be incredibly difficult work. And people will malign you, oppose you, and, will, and make the work even harder. Still, you must carry on. Like, know what you're signing up for. It's going to cost you everything, and still you fight through. Still you sign back up. You just keep stepping one foot in front of the other. We see Nehemiah is bracing himself for the work, and he carries on. It says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. And he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the, many, and the army of Samaria, this is a foreign army that's there. Like, do you understand how threatening this situation is? Sanballat and Tobiah and, and, and the Geshem, the Arab, and the army of Samaria, they're all there and they're threatening him. And they're calling him out. And they're saying, oh, what are you trying to rebel against the king? They fight against him and then they say, will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? And can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing on it would break down the wall of stones, taunting them. I mean, it's just kind of just bad humor, kind of like my joke earlier. Like, like ah, 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 ah. Stupid fox would knock the wall over. These guys don't know what they're doing and you idiots and quit that and that, you're gonna do this in a day and you're never up for this task and, and your money's gonna run out and we're gonna wear you out and we're gonna taunt you. They were acting as like Goliath before the, the, the Israelites out in the valley of Elah, taunting every single day. You gotta know that if you're gonna sign up to do this work, you're going to be mocked and opposed People won't understand you. People will stand in your way. People will separate from you. And I'm not trying to make us, you know, look over our shoulder. And I'm not trying to make us, you know, act like everyone's out there. It's not true. But I'm saying if you're going to do any great work in the kingdom of God, the enemy will oppose you. It will cost you something. Don't be surprised when it gets difficult. And we see when Jesus rises up and he takes on his ministry and he, he, he's, he's serving these people and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. It said that Jesus set his face like flint. Jesus set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, just like Nehemiah set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. This is, the wall has been broken down and we are going back into town and we're gonna rebuild this thing if it costs us everything. If you're gonna rebuild the walls, there will be opposition, there will be, there will be mockery, there will be heartbrokenness, and people will not, even at best, they just won't get you. Have you ever felt weird? <laughs> Have you ever felt strange in your workplace? These people, you do what on Friday night? Are you serious? Like, come to the club, baby. Come to the club. We going out, and, and no, I, no, I'm going to church. I'm going to go check my kids in and serve upstairs and teach people the Bible, and, and I'm going to go be a part of the communion team. Have you ever felt weird following Jesus? Welcome to the story. People, at best, they won't understand you. At worst, they will oppose you. If you're going to sign up to do this great work, it's going to cost you everything, and still, you must carry on. The third thing that I want you to see from this text is it takes us all to rebuild the wall. It takes us all. This is not a sacred, secular divide. This is not a clergy, laity divide. This is not, oh, there's certain 
home run hitters in the kingdom of God and all of us are just keeping the lights on. No, you read Nehemiah, it took every single person to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. It, it, it was, the, the playing field was level and Nehemiah was out there going after it and all these people, what I want you to see in, in uh, chapter three, one through five, it says Eliashib, the high priest. This is the high priest that goes into the Holy of Holies once a year. The big dog. The high priest, there's a bunch of other priests, but this is the high priest. He's the first one that's mentioned getting to work on the wall, which is to say that the playing field is level and it takes us all and nobody gets out of the work. The high priest doesn't get to be precious back there, you know, getting the goats ready for the sacrifices and, you know, fixing his fingernails and, and no, like get out there, Eliashib, you start because if you start, everyone knows that it's gonna cost all of us. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests, they went to work and they rebuilt the sheep gate. And they dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah, great name, and they laid its beams and they put its doors and its bolts and its bars in place. And Merimoth, son of Uriah, and the son of Hakaz, and repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshalam, and uh, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal
It takes us all to rebuild the wall and it takes us all to do the work until we're dead. We don't ever reach a point of nobility when we graduate from sacrifice in the kingdom of God. The elders of Tekoa would not put their shoulders to the work, which is statement number four. What I want you to see is that the older and more successful you get, the more the enemy will tempt you to take it easy. This is a warning to us all. Paul in Romans 12, he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Don't be lacking in zeal. You keep, keep it means that it is constantly under threat of attack. It, the enemy is trying to steal it. So Paul says, keep it. Keep your spiritual fervor. Keep serving the Lord. Keep praying. Keep falling on your knees. Keep repenting. Keep pressing yourself to the point. When, when I feel like I'm getting sloppy, the Lord always asks me to do something that feels really uncomfortable and borderline scary. And very often it has to do with money. Because I can go, yeah, I went to the prayer meeting this week. And the Lord's like, yeah, I need you to open your heart and I need you to open your pocketbook until it hurts. And I give, this happens to me about once a year where the Lord asks us to do something that scares us financially. Like we tithe and all that stuff and we give and we're looking, but the Lord will call us back into the work because the temptation is to become one of the nobles of Tekoa that graduates from doing all that hard stuff. Friends, we have to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And the mythology around retirement in America today is take it easy and relax and go soft and settle down and take care of number one. You did your time, baby. And I look, I, if you're retired, go for it. I want to be retired one day, but I want to have purpose to get out of bed in the morning. Right? So it, there is a time where your body changes and your energy changes. And I'm not saying you're going like you're 30 the rest of your life. But what I am saying is you get out of bed in the morning and put your feet on the ground and you say, come Holy Spirit, let's do this kingdom work yeah. until you die. <laughs> until you die. The nobles of Tekoa, they wouldn't do the work. But you read about Deuteronomy 34, verse 7, Moses. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. He wasn't one of those nobles. I mean, if anyone could be a noble who doesn't do the work anymore, who's got his entourage and who's got, you know, he's come, he's pops in, pops out and does his thing and then goes up to the mountaintop and there's ivory tower. And he, no, Moses, when he's 120, his eyes were not weak and his strength was not gone and he was pressing. I look at uh, Mr. Wilson over here. He's 90 years old, right here, Mr. Wilson, 90 years old. Give it up for this guy right here. I see Don. I see Don right here. I see Don is 90 years old. I used to call on Bruce, but Bruce is just a young 81. So you're not, you, we got another decade before we're talking about you, Bruce. <laughs> These guys, their eyes are not weak and their strength is not gone. Are they 90? They're 90. But are they still in the game? Yes, they are. And I want to be like this. He'll sit down at the piano and sing through the hymn book, a man of God who's followed Jesus his entire life, right here in this region, friends. The elders of Tekoa, they said, we don't do that anymore. And they showed that they had lost their love for the kingdom of God. But there's a different way. You can keep your shoulder to the work until your body is laid in the ground and until Jesus raises you back up. Friends, choose the latter. Stay strong. Stay invested in the kingdom. Sacrifice and pray and say, Lord, I want to I serve you all the days of my life. And I don't want to check out when I'm 60. I want to serve you all the days of my life. And enjoy retirement and keep your shoulder to the work. Amen? Amen. Statement number five is don't ever forget that God is on your side and victory will be yours. Victory will be yours. Chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will help us. This is an impossible task. This is insane. You got, you got Tobiah and you got Sanballat and you got Geshem the Arab and you got the Sumerian army and, and Nehemiah doesn't even know this city. 
What are we doing? This is stupid. This is a failure waiting to happen. And he's out there under the cover of darkness and he's understanding just how ravaged this city is. And these people say, let's go for it. And Nehemiah says, the God of heaven will help us. It's going to cost you everything and it's going to be scary. And they're out there with a, a sword in one hand and their tools in the other. We'll get to this. A sword in one hand, their tools in the other. They're rebuilding the wall and they've got a guard posted around the construction workers because it's a war waiting to break out. And and Nehemiah says, don't you ever forget that the God of heaven will help us. It's his wall that he wants rebuilt. This is his kingdom that's coming and his will will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So it's gonna cost you a cross and it's gonna cost you sacrifice and it's gonna cost you a little bit of sleepless nights. It's gonna cost you some money and it's gonna cost you some blood, sweat and tears, but the God of heaven will help us. Friends, don't ever forget that the victory is yours. God is going to get this story right. God will not be defeated. We think Genesis 3 is the end of the story when the enemy sneaks in and allures us away and seduces us into sin. That is not the end of the story. And the end of the story is not Joseph of Arimathea's tomb outside of the walls of Jerusalem. Outside of the walls of Jerusalem, they buried Jesus Christ for like 72 hours. The God of heaven will help us because you can't keep him dead. You can't keep a good God down. You you can't keep him in Joseph's tomb. You can't keep him defeated by the enemy. He will get the last word. And I go into situations all the time that are fraught with fragility and pain and fear. And I'm a pastor. I go to hospital rooms and weep with those that weep and officiate funerals that we didn't ever want to have, at least for another three or four decades. But here we are. And I'm not saying it's easy, but the God of heaven will help us. I don't know when and I don't know how, but the God of heaven will help us. It it will cost us everything, but the God of heaven will help us and we will cry tears and there will be opposition and people will impugn our characters at worst and at at least they just won't get us uh, at times, but the God of heaven will help us. I remember sitting with a couple that... They came over to our house one night. They said, can we just come, can we come to your house? We said, come, yeah, come. And they walked in our house and they sat down on our couch and they started sobbing. They said, we can't have a baby. We, we can't. We've been trying. We've done everything we know. You ever been just desperate? Desperation walked into our living room. They told us the story of the years and tens of thousands of dollars and IVF and it just, it just not working and it's just not working. I didn't talk them up real strong. I didn't, you know, come on, suck it up. It's going to be, I didn't do that. We wept with them. But in that prayer, I said, the God of heaven will help you. I don't know how. I don't know what the outcome's gonna be. I don't know if it's gonna be a biological child. I don't know if you'll have a foster kid. I don't know if you'll adopt from a different, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that the God of heaven will help you. This this is what he does. I think we need better self-talk. I'm not always great at this. I, I wish I was better, but I'm getting better. Kind of sounds like Stuart Smalley, you know, like Saturday Night Live, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, and I got my sweater on, and I've got my little mustache. Like, it feels like that. But I, lately, I'll just take you into my life a little bit. Lately, I've been going and standing in front of the mirror, and I look at myself, I go, God, Like, it, it's, not always, it's not always great. It's not always easy. Sometimes I falter. Sometimes I don't believe it. But you just keep saying, the God of heaven will help me. The God of heaven will help me. The God of heaven. He, he's going to win. I feel this tonight so strongly. Some of you want to quit. Some of you have entertained just dark thoughts. You've planned. 
Maybe they wouldn't miss me. If I, would anyone know? I just, I was, and that's the devil. And what I want you to hear is that the God of heaven, he will help you. Don't quit. Don't quit. You can't quit. Please. if you just wait a little longer. The God of heaven, he's coming. Salvation is yours. Healing. I don't know how. I don't know all the details, but he's going to heal you someday. He's going to raise you up someday. Thank you. He's for you. He's not a good thank you. Listen. (laughs) The God of heaven. The God of heaven will help us. Some people double fist it in different ways. I double fist it with my (laughs) Kleenexes. The God of heaven will help us. We need better self-talk. We need better community talk. Speak this over each other. Pray this over each other. Raise each other up. Go into our homes and talk to each other. The God of heaven. Because I don't always believe it, but sometimes your faith is infectious. Sometimes you don't always believe it, but my faith can be infectious. And somehow, when one of us is weak, the other is strong, and then it switches. The God of heaven will help us. It says in verse 1 of chapter 3, I'm going to close with this. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work, and they rebuilt the sheep gate. And they dedicated it to the Lord. I've got some anointing oil here tonight. And all throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, there's this moment of dedication to the Lord where, hey, there's this kid, David, he's a shepherd. Get him in here. He's the next king of Israel. And they break open the horn of oil and they pour it on his head and he's anointed the king of Israel. And they anoint the temple and they anoint the tabernacle and they anoint the posts and they put the blood on the doorposts. And they, like, this is all throughout the scripture and you lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It says that they did their little section Eliashib, the high priest, and his priest with him. They didn't do the entire wall. They just had their section, and it cost them everything, and they did the work, and they stepped back, and like God at creation, they saw that it was good, and then they dedicated it to the Lord. And I want to ask you tonight, what are you wanting to dedicate to the Lord? What process are you in that you want to dedicate to the Lord? What, what's the thing that you're putting your hand to? You're putting your shoulder to the work. And for some of you, it's, it's you're raising little children right now and you fall into bed every night exhausted. Will you dedicate that work to the Lord? I've got anointing oil. I've, I've got 130 vials. One, you know, we're going to run out. Maybe one per household or one, you know, whatever. Like, if you, I've got oil to send with you tonight because I want you to, to start stepping into situations with specificity and start dedicating stuff to the Lord. Your kids are getting back into school and some of you in week two or three, you're seeing that some of your kids are struggling with a certain subject and you see maybe they've got a learning disability. Would you just anoint their heads with oil? You don't have to say anything. Just say, Lord, this one's yours. This one's gonna thrive in Jesus' name. And I don't know how and I don't know when, but the Lord our God will help us. And dedicate that to the Lord. Some of you are business owners. If you're a business owner, would you please raise your hand tonight? You know what it is to sign the front of the check. Most other people know what it is to sign the back of the check. And you lay in bed at night carrying that burden. And, you, and, and, and you've worked hard. And you've been creative. And it's cost you so much. And there have been successes, yes. But there have also been heartbreaks. Would you just take home a bottle of oil tonight? Maybe get out your company checkbook. And just, put, and just dedicate that thing to the Lord. And I say to you, the Lord your God will help you. 
Some of you, your marriage is on the brink and you just need to rededicate it to the Lord and, and you don't even wanna talk to each other right now and you, you, you just live as a cold shoulder to one another. And in Jesus' name, that's gonna be rebuked tonight. Just like humble yourself. Look each other in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, I want you, I want us. I want, and dedicate that marriage to the Lord and the Lord your God will help you. If you will press into the thing and put your shoulder to the work, I promise you, God will not disappoint you. In time, he will bring salvation. Some of you, you, you you've gotten your house ready because you wanna be a foster family. You want to be a safe family for kids that their life isn't safe. Get some oil and put it over the doorpost of that room that you've dedicated. You don't even know who the kid is yet. You just know that you're ready. Dedicate that space to the Lord and say, come Holy Spirit, I want to put my shoulder to the work. And I'll bleed for other people who are not my children biologically. I'll lay my life down and dedicate that scenario to the Lord. And I promise you, the Lord your God will help you. Your basement is open for a family in need. The Lord, our God, we dedicate it to you. And the, the, I'm just saying, the Lord will use you to help other people. You're committing to and sacrificing for our legacy offering this year. We, we feel the Lord has called us to be debt-free. And you just say, Lord, I dedicate this extra money. And, and, and I just say, the Lord, your God will help you as the Lord helps us. And we're gonna see this wall rebuilt around here. Some of you are tutoring kids that... Missed two years of school and, and they're, 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 it's just been difficult. And Dedicate that work to the Lord and the Lord will help you and the Lord will help them. And There's a tax accountant here in the church who's just a, just a beast. He's been doing this forever. And he helps widows who don't know how to do taxes. Every single year for free. He just, he just 10, 12 different people. He's just saying, the Lord your God will help you and I'll be your tax man. He's dedicated his gift to the Lord and it's blessing people year after year and the kingdom of God is coming. The will of God is being done and those walls that were broken down for those widows, they have been rebuilt because Mr. Tim shows up. Friends, whatever the thing is, would you dedicate it to the Lord afresh tonight? Just like Eliashib and the priests, they said, look, this is the work we can do. We can't do it all, but this is what we can do. And we did it and we're doing it with all our hearts. And Lord, it's yours. Friends, tonight is a night for many of us to, to sign back up and to rededicate our lives and to rededicate our gifts and to rededicate our work to the Lord. And I'm here to say the Lord, our God, will help us. Victory is going to be ours. Can you say amen? amen. Church, would you stand with me tonight? Stand with me tonight. Would you open your hands and close your eyes and start by rededicating yourself to the Lord? Before you rededicate any work out there, why don't we just start with the smallest concentric circle? Let's start with us. Some of you are locked in with the Lord. That's fantastic. Others of you, you've been far away. It doesn't matter. Come home tonight. Give yourself back over to him tonight. Say, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm I, my bad. I'm sorry. That was stupid. But I'm back. And just like that, he takes you in with joy. He gives you your spot at the wall. He gives you your tools back. Let's go. Let's build this thing. Lord Jesus, hear us tonight. We repent. We come home. We're yours. There's not really any other work we could be doing that would satisfy. Everything else falls short. But here we are, Lord, and we are yours. We repent. We thank you for receiving us with mercy tonight. Can you thank him for his kindness? Thank him for his compassion. Thank him for forgiveness. Thank him for loving us with an everlasting love. We bless you, Lord. We can't believe we get to be yours. We can't believe we get to be a part of this work. And so, Lord... Thank you for restoring us tonight. Would you get your communion elements ready? And if you don't have communion elements, just raise your hand and our team will come through the room quickly. 
to bring those to you. But this is the right way to respond tonight. Come home to the meal that the Father has prepared for us, that the Son has served up for us. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. Would you grab that wafer and just break it in half right there in your hands? Jesus was the wall that was broken down so that our lives could be rebuilt. <laughs> it's just what comes to mind right now. When This is my broken body. Like, I'll be shattered so that you can be made whole. I'll be torn asunder so that you can be rehomed. That's what Jesus is doing tonight. This is my body which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember, remember that God is for you. Friends, you may receive the bread tonight. On the same night, Jesus, he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant. The new agreement between God and humankind. The coming back together, covenant, drink up, he says. This cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. God does not think you are stupid. I just hear that. God does not think you are stupid like you have thought you are stupid. God goes, hey, you ready? Drink up. I'm crazy about you. I love you. I forgive you. We're clean. There's a new covenant. It's a reset. Let's go. Jesus is for you tonight, friends. So if you have felt stupid, feel stupid no more because Jesus doesn't think you're stupid. Jesus is pleased to have you at the table tonight. Your sins have been forgiven you because God is for you. The Lord your God has helped you tonight. You may drink the cup. Can we just go for it in worship right now? Just take a few more minutes here. And let this place erupt with, with exaltation, with praise, with shouts of joy, with thanksgiving. Lift your hands. Shout to the Lord for his kindness. Let's worship Jesus for his mercy.
Church, would you open your hands tonight to receive the blessing of God? Lord, make us faithful. No matter what it costs, make us faithful. No matter how long it takes, make us faithful. Through the uncertainty, make us faithful. Rebuke the fear so that we can be faithful. So tonight, Lord, I pray over my friends, this congregation that you love. I pray, may the Lord our God bless you. May he keep you and may he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his bright, smiling countenance upon you and all of your people. And may he grant you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Can we thank God for what he's done here tonight? Hang tight.
Hang tight, a few announcements. We've got the vials of oil at the back as you go out. Take these and use them liberally. Speak blessing and just dedicate, rededicate the work you're doing to the Lord our God this week. We've got our prayer team coming down. We would love to agree with you in prayer about anything. Two last things. We've got First Wednesday coming up this coming Wednesday. We're going to do some baptisms at First Wednesday for some people who've signed up and just said we can't wait till October. So we're going to do baptisms. And then next Saturday, not tomorrow, but eight days from now, we've got the EXO Marriage Conference. You can get signed up in the back. It's going to be fantastic. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.